Welcome into another edition of Ticket to the Bank. I'm your host, Logan Levy. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Vasily Loricos, and we've got an interesting episode to talk about. The Ravens, led by Lamar Jackson, they went into Arrowhead and, and they made it a game. You know, they, they took it to overtime. They certainly had their opportunities to win this game. They, I think for both of us, they exceeded our, the Ravens exceeded our expectations for what was going to happen because I thought they were going to lose this game by 20 points. The defense played well. The offense stood toe-to-toe with one of the best offenses in the league. Obviously, they were aided a little bit by Baltimore's defense by holding the Chiefs down to only 17 points till, till late in the game, but still an impressive performance nonetheless. Indeed, they went toe-to-toe on the road against the best team in the AFC and t- took them to overtime. It was a tough loss. But all is not lost. The team is still projected to make the playoffs. Good thing is, and before we get into the actual episode itself, we can kind of look at the macro level of the playoff picture. Yeah, there's four teams right now tied at 7-6. and six, But for the Ravens, they're a half a game back from, from the AFC North, first place in the North. And the Steelers have so pretty much what, what needs to happen. Break, essentially, if the Steelers lose to the Saints in New Orleans and the Patriots in Pittsburgh, and it doesn't matter what they do against the Bengals, and the Ravens beat the Bucks and the Browns, the Ravens win the division, regardless of what they do against the Chargers. That, that's how it breaks down. So the Ravens really, the way that I see it, I think it's more likely they win the division than not. The opportunity is certainly there. you got to take care of business. That Browns game, Week 17, looks maybe a little tougher than it did earlier on, but the Ravens are playing well, and if they can keep it up, they should uh, make it to January. I mean, I don't know what else you can ask for, though. A home game against the Browns to win, win the division. So to me, that would be exactly what you want you know what I mean I know the Browns aren't bad by any stretch of the imagination they had an impressive win this week but that's it can't get any easier than that a home game to win the division yeah you know the Ravens have faltered in the past in these circumstances and we'll see if this bunch potentially with a new quarterback can get get the job done for once and bring some uh some holiday cheer to uh, the fans of Baltimore. For sure. So let's get to this game. They lost 27-24 in overtime. There was a couple questionable decisions, I thought, on both sides. And we'll start with the offense. So my issue is this. Lamar Jackson is the future, obviously, at least for the next two to three years of the starting quarterback position. You, you have him starting this year. Neither of us really were thrilled, I guess, that he, or at least I'll speak for myself, I wasn't thrilled that he was starting this year. I would have liked to him to sit out, but I think once you already started him, it just, you can't go back to Flacco. But, but my issue is that I feel like Marty's not doing the best job to keep him healthy. And I think that's the most important thing is you have to limit his touches. In the way, and what I want to talk about is risk versus reward. In the first quarter, is it really necessary to run a zone read or something like that or a QB draw or a QB power to pick up two yards when you can run an outside zone or an inside zone and likely get those two yards? To me, I, I get it. It's game planning. You want to show them different looks. But teams are already overcommitting to Jackson. So to me, I, I, I think that you have to look at it versus risk versus reward. And is it worth it to get two yards in the second quarter? Now, if it's the fourth quarter, game's on the line, I get it. Do whatever you got to do to win. But I think you really have to look at how you're using him in terms of touches because you don't want to expose him to too many hits. Otherwise, he'll get hurt like he did late in the Chiefs game. Yeah, that's a fair point for sure. He uh, He's getting hit more than you'd like. There's no question about it. Marty, I thought he had an ideal run-pass ratio, maybe not necessarily needed to give Lamar quite as many touches, but uh, I do wish that he would have called a little bit more variation on some of the short yardage plays, maybe some off-tackle runs instead of jamming it up the middle, 
But I did think that the running backs were the Ravens' best unit on offense. Gus Edwards continues to grind out yards on zone reads with that downhill style and that ridiculously low pad level he carries. And Kenny Dixon, I think he was the offensive MVP of this game. He looked fantastic, running with vision, burst, power, and balance. I pretty much written Dixon off, but if he can keep this up, I think he has a role on the 2019 team. Well, questioning why they picked him over Willie Henry to be the, the one of the designated to return players of IR, but the, he's proven me wrong, and it, it's been a delightful surprise the way that he's running. I mean, that, so you talked about the zone reads. I, I, I charted all the games. My film piece is going to come out, I think, on Wednesday now. Uh, they I, I charted 13 zone reads, and they gained 58 yards off of those zone reads. Out of all the teams they played, the Raiders, Bengals, Falcons, and then now the Chiefs, the Chiefs were the only team that found a way to stop the zone read, or limited at least, because what they're doing is they're having the guy that they're reading, the end man in the line of scrimmage, having him swarm the running back, the play side linebacker just go around and fill that guy's role. So you're, you're pretty much forcing Jackson to kind of be stuck. And it actually worked pretty well to stop them. So I think that I think that, that, that could be interesting to watch moving forward because now it is on tape how to stop a zone read. I don't know why no one knew it before because th- this kind of football has been around since since the 50s, but the Chiefs put it on tape how to stop it, so it will be interesting moving forward how defenses and, and, and the Ravens' offense adjust to that. No question. Kansas City tightened up the edges, especially in the second half, and they limited Lamar in the second half, his running game, his legs, but it can't be discounted. What he does for the offense helps keep them on schedule. In my view, I thought Lamar played well, showed a lot of poise, decision-making was much improved, There were always a handful of easy completions he missed, throwing either low or perhaps behind the receiver. Then again, he also made some excellent throws, several darts to Willie Sneed, especially that strike on third down in overtime. The touchdown to John Brown was another beauty, and the fourth down touchdown to Max Williams, etc., etc., I thought he played well. Was this his best game? I don't know if it was his best game. I think as a passer, it probably was. I think overall, in terms of his best game, I, I, I still like what he did against Cincinnati, but maybe maybe that, that that's just prisoner of the moment type thing, just because I'm sitting there thinking, okay, this is his first start, big game for the Ravens, and he comes in and delivers a huge performance. So, so I, it's hard for me to get that game out of there, but I do think as a passer, this is his best game. So I kind of like... I delved into like a research project because I, I wanted to study quarterback mechanics and I, I've read too many books about it already. I've watched too many clinics about it, but I wanted to study quarterback mechanics to see like like what what is going on with Lamar Jackson because the way that I look at it in, in, from my research, what I found is really consistency is one of the biggest reasons that or one of the biggest causes for inaccuracy. When you have inconsistent uh, throwing mechanics and you're constantly changing it, that leads to inaccuracy. And you look at Lamar Jackson – it's very rare that he has the same motion on any given throw in a certain game. Uh, he, he often, and I think the biggest issue with him is his footwork. So from what I found, his stride foot, so his front foot, once you plant it, ideally, if you do it right, that foot should not move once you plant it and, and begin the throwing motion. But however, Jackson, because of his uneven weight distribution, maybe it's too far on his toes because he does do that at times. Sometimes it's too far on his heels uh, or too much on his heels. What happens is that that front heel moves and it actually affects the throw a lot. Well, that's an encouraging sign because that's something that's fixable. I mean, the quarterbacks and all players have their certain physical tools that they are that they are gifted with. And there's, in my mind, two different as far as passing the ball. There's 
arm talent and there's hand talent. And by arm talent, it's basically how hard and how far can you throw the ball. And hand talent is how accurate can you throw the ball. And Lamar is not an accurate quarterback by any stretch of the imagination at this point in his career. But he does show glimpses. And if he can clean up that footwork, you really have something special. I mean, you can really see it on some of those passes he made to Willie Sneed. And Sneed made some excellent contested catches. Crabtree also blocked well downfield, as did Nick Boyle and Max Williams in line. The offensive line, though, we expected that that Kansas City front was going to give them some problems, and I thought they did in this game. It's kind of a weird situation because he is a natural arm thrower. He because he makes some crazy throws on the run where where his just like Patrick Mahomes, where if you watch him, like. Mahomes does everything that you, you don't teach a quarterback to do in terms of from a mechanical standpoint, and it's still an accurate dime. So J- Jackson clearly is a natural arm throw. I, I just think that he's got to work, like you said, on the on the footwork and the mechanics a little bit more, and the accuracy will come. The scary part is some quarterbacks just never get it. I'm not saying Jackson will never get it, but fixing your mechanics certainly takes time, especially when you've ingrained some bad habits. As for the offensive line, like you mentioned, I thought that I don't understand why Matt Skura is still the starting center. I, I, I'm sorry, but this guy continues to make mistakes. He continues to give up pressures. He continues to give up sacks. He's horrible in, in, run, the, in, in run blocking. And the reason why the, the, the running game has improved is because what they've done, actually, is they've simplified what Matt Skura has to do. Because with Flacco, they were running a lot of outside zones, and Skura never re- reached his block. But in zone reads, Skura really has easier assignments. He's just kind of blocking the nose shade a lot. So he's had an easier, easier time. But... This guy continues to struggle, and I don't understand it. Positively, James Hurst struggled a little bit as well, but I thought that he did better than Alex Lewis did all season, and I think that this could be the offensive line uh, moving forward, even when Lewis gets healthy. But my question to you would be, would you put Lewis at at center? Because I certainly would try it out, because I don't think Lewis can be any worse at center than Skura. As long as he can snap the ball consistently, I, I agree. I don't think he can be much worse. I have no idea what the the uh, protection co- was called when they had Skura one-on-one against Chris Jones on the first sack. And Skura, the pocket collapsed. He allowed the pocket to collapse way too frequently. I agree with you on James Hurst. He was really playing well early on to start the game, and he kind of wore down a little bit as the game progressed. That may be a result of coming back from injury and getting his legs under him a little bit. Marshall Yonda was stout per usual. I thought Orlando Brown had a very solid game. He basically silenced D Ford, which is not an easy task to do. And he also made several key blocks on the second level. But we also need to touch on Ronnie Stanley. We've given him credit when he's played well, and we've given him blame when he's played poorly. And he had a poor game in this one. He was bulled by Justin Houston frequently. He kind of had a meltdown there at the end. He drew a holding penalty and then allowed the sack that injured Lamar Jackson. And then Stanley and James Hurst were also at least partially to blame on the strip sack that ended the fourth quarter. Luckily, Harrison Bucker missed the kick. Um, that it was an overload blitz there, and it looked like they were not communicating effectively. I can't blame Lamar too much for, for a blindside strip like that. My question is, Ty Montgomery was in the backfield. Was he the one that was supposed to pick up that overload blitzer? Yeah, uh, so the way that that you kind of identify blitzes and the way that they're kind of taught and things like that, 
You can either A, change the play, which Jackson didn't do. You can B, change the coverage. Or C, you can change or kind of do it in, in Madden terms. You can do a hot route and you can kind of adjust a, re, adjust a guy's route so it's just not, you're throwing hot. And it doesn't look like Jackson did any of that. Um, I'm not sure if he just didn't see the blitz. Certainly pre-snap he had to have seen it because I, I thought that they telegraphed. They didn't even try to disguise it. They just overloaded that side and said, okay, here's we're coming. Uh, maybe Jackson thought it was a disguise. I'm not really sure, but certainly there was some sort of miscommunication there. So I actually blame everybody you just named. I blame Jackson because you have to see that pre-snap. I blame... Uh, Ty Montgomery because he didn't even try to get over and I don't I don't know their blocking rules so I don't know if he was instructed to go sh to kind of block the A gap because maybe they thought an A gap blitz was coming but he didn't even try to go there but I also blame I don't blame Hurst as much as you do but I blame Stanley because if you watch the all 22 the end zone angle you can see so once they drop back Stanley has a decision to make where he sees that Justin Houston's coming from the inside and he see, I can't remember who it is but he sees someone coming someone coming in from the outside. Instead of picking the out the the inside guy, which is what which is rule 101 of offensive linemen, he takes the he takes an extra step and takes the outside guy, which lets Justin Houston have the inside route, the the inside lane to Jackson. Maybe he thought that Montgomery was going to pick him up. I'm not exactly sure. Their blocking protection might have had the the rules for the blocking protection may have had Stanley block that guy, but I still think in that situation when it's an overload blitz, you have to take that inside guy regardless because you can let the, even it even if the outside guy goes unblocked, it's a longer route to get to a longer path to get to Lamar Jackson. So Jackson A had more time to escape it and maybe Montgomery is able to see it quicker and then get to him or have more time to react and maybe get to that guy just in time. But either way, like that you just can't let that play happen. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how it happened. I don't know who to blame. Whatever, because I'm not in their team meeting rooms, and I don't know who is in charge of the blocking schemes. But it should have cost them the game. Because if, if Bucker makes that kick, it's over. It was surprising. Bucker's a great kicker. I was surprised missed two in this game. In this scenario, and obviously we're not inside the huddle, but I'm going to give the rookie a little bit of slack in Arrowhead, one of the loudest stadiums, hostile environment, under the pressure. I think Montgomery, as a veteran who's known for his pass blocking, he should uh, maybe pick that up. But before we move on to the defensive side of the ball, I also want to give some praise to Cyrus Jones. 55-yard punt return was huge. And unsurprisingly, Chris Moore, the obligatory Chris Moore shout-out, he had the key block on that return. Splash plays have always been a large part of the Ravens' winning formula. And Cyrus Jones, a local product, he's definitely delivering lately. Yeah, Chris Moore consistently, consistently making plays on special teams, and and now on offense, I think he's getting more more snaps, and I, I he certainly deserves it. Uh, he continues to evolve as a route runner. His hands are improving. This guy has the potential to be a good wide receiver three, maybe wide receiver number two. I I, I really like what what he's done. Is I think his development's been a little bit slower than you'd like, but or or expect. But he's certainly making plays. The the, the one point I want to mention before we officially move on to defense is this. I think the key to the Ravens' offense right now, and the reason why I think they're they're more successful they are than they were with Joe Flacco is is just this simple. So they gained three hundred and twenty one total yards, right? Of those 321, 175 were gained on first down, 84 on second, 52 on third, and 10 on fourth. If you break that down, essentially they're average. They were averaging 5.83 yards per per play on first down in this game. 
to me, that's the key because if you're getting an average of 5.8 yards essentially on first down, you're already putting up second and five, second and fours. You're getting second and intermediate, and then that gives that opens up the playbook where you can say, hey, maybe we take a deep shot on second and second and medium, and we because we trust our offense to be able to get four or five yards because they certainly can. Or you just keep running it and you continually pick up yards and get first downs. That's the key to me is they're gaining yard. They're getting a lot of yards on first down. No question. That's a Lamar Jackson factor. We've been saying that for weeks. He keeps you ahead of the sticks and he has that elusiveness and improvisational skill that you need when the offensive line's struggling. But now moving on to the defense, and there's a lot to talk about. Number one versus number one, scoring offensive and defense in the league. And first, I want to begin by giving a lot of credit to coordinator Martindale. He outcoached Andy Reid up until the fourth quarter, and his design pressures were much more effective than I expected, considering Mahomes' prowess. He called seemingly every blitz in the playbook, slot blitz, a-gap, safety, delayed blitz, and especially those stunts on the left side were working great. And Wink also mixed up his coverages effectively to, uh, to keep Mahomes off balance. The edge rushers were by far the strength of the defense in Week 14. Suggs had a sack, sniffed out a few screens. Zedarius had a sack and affected Mahomes on the interception. And Judon was a beast. He whipped Mitchell Schwartz, who was one of the best right tackles in the game. The front generated a ton of pressure in this game, and that was the key to making this a close contest. Like we've been saying all season, like we both said in the preseason, the Ravens' defense will only go as far as the safeties take them. I thought, like, I agree with everything you said. The, the, the front the front seven was great. The cornerbacks played well. I mean, they limited, for most of the game, they limited Travis Kelsey. Other than, like, the first couple series he balled out he had like four receptions for 53 yards but then after that it was like two catches for I think 24 yards and a touchdown so really after the first couple series they I guess they figured out hey maybe we should try to guard this guy so they limited him uh Tyreek Hill obviously balled out but realistically going to be able to stop both of them or limit both of them I thought they did a decent job but again the issue was the safeties uh Eric Weddle continued to show me that he is certainly losing a step, if not more. Uh, he made a couple of questionable plays, including uh, including a play where he just takes horrible angles. I don't understand. He's horrible at tackling in space right now. I, I mean, I don't know if he relies too much on maybe he thinks that he's faster than he is right now, but he just gets burned too many times. He often goes for the wrong. And when he's in the single high looks, he just overcommits to the wrong side. I don't get the love for this guy. I mean, I'm sorry, but this guy is awful right now. He made several huge mistakes in this game, including a couple of missed tackles, a couple of times where he overcommitted. I just don't get it. That is spot on. The Ravens have to upgrade at safety. They need a safety that can complement this style of offense going forward. And they had, they just didn't have an answer for Hill. And Hill was banged up in this game. He was knocked out twice with upper and lower body injuries. And like you said, after that first half, Kelsey, they had no answer for Kelsey. They tried five different guys and they couldn't stop him, but they did buckle down against Kelsey. The corners, however, not a great game. Disappointing game from the corners. Hill, they didn't let him get over the top, but Humphrey drew a couple costly penalties. Jimmy Smith was burned by Hill twice in overtime. 
Mosley, he remains a liability in coverage. Major issues covering people out of the backfield, including the touchdown that tied the game near the end of regulation. And on that game-defining 4th and 9, 48-yard miracle to Hill, neither Jimmy nor Mosley were able to contest the catch. My question to you, should we assign blame on that play or chalk it up to Mahomes' incredible talent? So one thing I just want to disagree with you, I, I don't think the corners played that bad given what they were up against. I, th- I think it's unrealistic to expect them to limit Tyreek Hill, limit all the playmakers that the Chiefs have. and the, Give credit to the Chiefs. Their scheme, I think that Andy Reid did a great job. And as for that fourth and nine play, as you were referring to, so here's the interesting part about it. Because I broke it down on Twitter. You can check it out, Africa Logan Levy. Uh, so the Ravens ran just a basic cover two, but they disguised it as they were bl- as they flooded the line of scrimmage. So they had a ton of guys in the line of scrimmage. They, they were disguising a blitz. They, didn't, they ended up only rushing four, and they go into your basic cover two coverage. The, the thing was, is Chuck Clark, for one reason or the other, on, remember, fourth and nine, just remember the situation, fourth and nine, for some reason, he drops so far back, I don't understand it, and because he dropped so far back, there was actually a receiver wide open in between him and Jimmy Smith, but Mahomes missed him, and it would have been like a 10, 15-yard gain, but Smith actually had the awareness, because Smith was a shallow, flat defender, Smith had the awareness to jump back, or run back and get him, and that actually, that stopped one play, even though he was still kind of open. And then Mahomes had the scramble because the rush came. And then the, the reason for the play, the reason for the gain, I guess, or the, or the success of the play was because, A, Eric Weddle, for one reason or the other, again, I don't understand it, he was in, he cheated over towards the middle, towards Hill, but for some reason, because Hill went a little bit over to the other side of the field, he ran back to his deep half. He, like, completely reverted what he did. And I get it, he's trying to stay in his zone, but there was no one on his zone. Like, he, and I think Weddle in that situation has to has to look over and realize a no one's going near his zone, and b there's two defenders guarding Kelsey on the other on his side. So they're and, and they're probably going to run with him. So there's no need for him to go back, but he did, and that actually and, and that created an opportunity where it was literally just Mosley one on one with Tyree Kill, and I think Mosley has to have better awareness of the situation, the higher football IQ, and realize, hey, I can't turn my back and try to run straight with Tyree Kill because he's going to outrun me every single time. Moses, you got to get some depth. I think you just have to try to stick with him as best you can and just try to push on the route, push on the route instead of trying to match him one-on-one because you're just never, never going to win that matchup. It's just never going to happen. I agree with you, Chuck Clark. The funny thing, he had an interception. He broke the streak. The streak is over. But... On second watch, I counted four missed tackles responsible, attributable to Clark. And I thought the Ravens missed Tony Jefferson. The run defense was uh, was so-so. And as we discussed in our pregame chat, that was probably a viable strategy to try to force them into running the ball. But Urban and Pierce, they had some nice stuffs. Brennan Williams, he got pushed out of his gap on both the first quarter touchdown run and the fourth down fullback dive. Mosley had a couple solid sticks, but overall the unit missed too many tackles, both against the run and the pass, and they could just not make that one play they needed, either a pass breakup on the on the deep shot to Hill, or another interception, or Suggs recovering the fumble that Mahomes dropped. He was right there, right there for the taking, and Brandon Carr said they let him off the hook, and I couldn't agree more. 
don't get me wrong, the Ravens played hard. They just couldn't make that one final clutch play they needed to seal it. Again, this is this is like watching the Ravens the past two to three years. They just lack that killer instinct. I don't know what it is, but it seems like they always find themselves in close games with good teams, and they just can't deliver the final blow. Because by all accounts, they should have won this football game. Um, for starters, you... You can't let Patrick Mahomes and the offense get the ball again in that fourth quarter. When you have the ball with, what what was it, like two minutes or less than that left, or when you, when you took over, you know, it was 53 seconds left, tie game, you can't let them get the ball back. You either have to kick, you, you, you have to kick the field goal or go to overtime. Obviously, Bucker missed it and they got lucky, but that's just bad football. But I still think that you have to find a way to get in field goal range. You have Justin Tucker. You really only have to go what, like 40 yards, if that? You you have to find a way to do it. And, and here's the thing that I want to mention. I want to get back to the offense real quick before we kind of give our final thoughts on this game. I don't understand. This is There's one play that really pissed me off. On second and 18 in overtime, Marty, on the sack that ended up getting Jackson hurt, Marty ran a quarterback draw. With the way the offensive line was protecting, with the with the fact, knowing that, the, that the, everybody knows they're passing the football, so the, so the uh, edge rushers can just pin their ears back and just rush them. I don't understand why you run a QB draw. Run a quick passing concept that's going get, to get the ball out of Jackson's hands quickly. Because when you're running a QB draw, everybody was expecting it. The linebackers weren't weren't phased by it. Not Marty's best game, for sure. No question. I think we also need to touch on the officiating. The Ravens shot themselves in the foot. 112 penalty yards. But... The officiating was suspect throughout. I counted six calls that could have went either way that all went against the Ravens. Roughing the passer on Peanut, offensive pass interference on Michael Crabtree, excessive roughness on Judon, the short spot on the failed fourth down attempt, and then missed pass interferences on Chris Moore in the end zone and on Willie Sneed on the final play in overtime. The outcome could have easily been flipped if one or two of those calls go the other way. It's not an excuse, but I think it's worth mentioning. I'm not one to blame the officials. I, I think that there was a lot of other factors that contributed to it. But I also think it, the calls kind of went both ways. Obviously, I think the Ravens got the shorter end of the stick. But I also think that you have to factor in the Chiefs had some bad calls as well. So I, I think it went both ways. I, I wasn't too thrilled with the officiating one way or the other. I thought that the... The Crabtree pass interference was was garbage. I, I I don't understand it because I don't I don't get how you call that and then you, you and then you don't call the one on Chris Moore in the end zone because the one on Chris Moore in the end zone to me that was cl- that was pretty clear. He got grabbed from the back and the guy pulled his jersey and they didn't call anything. So to me that that's just a bad that's just a bad call all around. Yeah, the officials were were really not great in this game, no question about it, but. Nonetheless, the Ravens, they put up a good fight. Bottom line, I believe the future is bright for the team. They played well on both sides of the ball in a harsh, hostile road environment. I also believe John Harbaugh is is making a compelling case to be deserving of a long-term extension pending the results against the Bucs, Chargers, and Browns down the stretch. If Eric DaCosta can add a few more important impact pieces to the roster in the offseason, then they will have the personnel to win these closely contested games and make that one final play they need in the coming seasons. Yeah, to me, top of the list has to be safety. I certainly agree Harbaugh could be on his way to getting a long-term extension, but 
top priority in the offseason needs to be getting a, needs needs to be drafting a young, rangy, center fielding type free safety. I don't know who it is. I, I like Deontay Thompson. Um, Taylor Rapp's an interesting option as well. I mean, there's a couple of different guys you can throw out there, but they need to get somebody because this is ridiculous. There's no way you can feel comfortable next season with Eric Weddle and Tony Jefferson. I just don't know how you could do it. But nonetheless, like you said, impressive impressive game. Uh, they, they showed more. Both of us thought they were going to get blown out. They didn't. They played well, so give them credit. Like we mentioned in the beginning of the show, the, the AFC wildcard race is just bonkers right now. There's four teams tied at 7-6, and six, so the Ravens are 7-6, and six, and they hold the all the four-way tiebreakers. The, the Colts are also 7-6, and six, the Dolphins are 7-6, and six, and so are the Titans. So, tight race there. I think out of all those teams, the Ravens do not have the easiest schedule by any stretch of the imagination. So, I, I, I think that it's, it's going to be tough. I, I still think nine and seven could get them the wild card. I- Let's dig into that Pittsburgh game at Oakland. What a sloppy game. Chris Boswell missed the field goal. They would have tied it at the end. The Steelers slide continues. What do you make of the uh, the Ben Roethlisberger controversy? I don't understand at what point why you wouldn't just throw him in because it's not like it was ever a blowout. Like They, they, they were barely leading for much of the game, so... Even if, yeah, we just want to see if we can get healthy. I, I think that this is Tomlin's, like, this is his kryptonite. Whenever they have a, like, like if I, were, if I were the Steelers, I would write a letter so they don't have to play the Patriots in the regular season because what Mike what it does to Mike Tomlin's psyche is really incredible. All he, he just forgets about every other game. It's all he's thinking about is, is the Week 15 game against the, against the Patriots. Seriously, it wouldn't surprise me if he overlooked the Raiders, didn't scout them, didn't do anything, and just said, all right, we're going to beat the crap out of them because they're the Raiders, and then we're going to go play the Patriots in Week 15 in the big game. Seriously, I, I don't understand. It's, they did it last year, too. Remember the comments that he made like in week 12 like oh yeah we, we're just looking to the, the Patriots game seriously I, I don't understand like Tomlin's a great coach I really like him as a coach but I just don't understand his mentality where he just overlooked games like this and I feel, I feel like this was a predictable loss for the Steelers I mean I wasn't expecting it but it's certainly predictable with what they do and they're just such a complex weird team to dissect because at time because they started out like crap then they got really really hot and we were like okay maybe this team could be contenders again they could be contenders in the AFC because they certainly have the talent to do so and then now you look at them and they're awful they their their offensive line struggled even with all the weapons they have on, on the outside they big Ben struggled to get them the football the running game has has, has since slowed down and the defense they, they kind of righted the ship, and then now they're back to getting torched again. They're second there. I don't understand. And Keith Butler might be the worst defensive coordinator in the league. These type of letdown games happen to Pittsburgh every year. That's what prevents Mike Tomlin from being considered in that top tier, that top echelon of coaches. And, uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they make a lot of changes to that roster coming up, depending on how it plays out down the stretch. But the Oakland wasn't the only one to pull off the stunner, the upset. Underdogs were barking on Sunday. Andrew Luck went into Houston and pulled out a big W. The Texans could not cover T.Y. Hilton. And Indy's defensive front dominated in the trenches. With this result, Indy's now 7-6. and six, But... Dallas looms next week. The Colts were impressive. Certainly a big road victory for them, and it keeps them in the the, the wild card race. Uh, speaking of them, Cowboys, 
interesting win over the Eagles. You know, they dominated pretty much in all facets of the game, yet they only they yet they needed overtime to win it by six points. I mean, they I think they had like over forty minutes in time of possession, but good win for Dallas. They're getting they're they're really getting hot. I think that their offensive line's playing better. Dak's playing better, obviously. If I, I like what they're doing running the football and, and they they kinda have a similar style to the Ravens where it's just, hey, we're gonna play good defense, we're gonna run the football and we'll take the occasional deep shot. Certainly. Amari Cooper three touchdowns, long touchdowns, and that's a, an important element for them. The Cowboys are clearly the best team in that division. I believe they have a good shot to advance to the divisional round in January, the way the playoffs are starting to take take shape. Um, Denver Broncos, another wild card contender, they fell in San Fran, surprisingly. Niners tight end, George Kittle, exploded. 200-some yards. He's having an all-pro caliber season. San Fran did a good job limiting the Broncos' young offensive playmakers, including a pair of fourth-down stops against Phillip Lindsay. Denver is 6-7 and seven, with a pivotal home game versus Cleveland next. I mean, the Browns, that I feel like they're very gritty this year. I mean, I, I know that they're only 5-7-1, and one, but first off, let's just take, take into account that Greg Williams has been in – been in Cleveland now as the head coach for what a couple uh five six weeks something like that and he already has just as many wins as Hugh Jackson did in three in three years so I mean maybe there's there's something to be said for that the Panthers 26 to 20 their defense looks sharp Baker looks sharp again and former Raven Brashad Perryman two catches for 81 yards Baker Mayfield made some incredible deep throws in this game and Cam Newton had several opportunities to win it at the end, but his accuracy betrayed him. The Browns are certainly headed in the right direction. The Panthers, not so much. And New England at Miami, a thrilling back-and-forth affair. Miami stunned the world and the Patriots with a miraculous hook-and-ladder play to win 34-33 as time expired. Are the Finns for real? Look at their look at their record against New England in, in like December or something like that in Miami. They're really good against New England in Miami for one reason or the other. Divisional game, you know how it is, but no, I don't think they're for real at all. I think this is this is just them winning a divisional game. It's big for them. You know everybody's getting up for, but they're not making any noise. I tend to agree. And uh I'll go on record this this Patriots team. They're not quite as talented as they were. They win a lot of games based off their coaching. But they're a little bit vulnerable come come playoff time. Another intriguing matchup occurred on Sunday night. Both quarterbacks struggled. Trubisky tossed three ugly interceptions. But the ferocious Bears defense forced Jared Goff and the Rams into four picks. Khalil Mack had a forced fumble. Eddie Goldman had a safety. And they kept Sean McVay out of the end zone. This Bears defense is legit. Yeah, the Bears are showing that the defense is, defense can still win games. Defense is still important in football. Um, I, I I was I wasn't so much as impressed with the Bears as I was disappointed in the Rams. I thought offensively they just they kind of went away from everything that worked well for them up to this point. They avoided a lot of the jet motions. They avoided a lot of the screen passes. They didn't run a lot of the same concepts that they usually ran or run. I don't know what happened to McVay and Goff, but they, they kind of just went away from everything that was working thus far this season. So, impressive win for the Bears, but not sh- kind of concerned a little bit about the Rams. Uh, more importantly, though, this this loss 
open the door back for the Saints to reclaim the number one seed in the NFC. And I think that's huge because, again, no one is going into New Orleans, in my opinion, and beating them in the playoffs. Now, I think you can beat them on the road, but you can't beat them at home. That's a fair point. Breeze is not playing as well as he was earlier in the year, but Superdome is a tough place to play. And in the final matchup, Monday night, Slate, two wildcard teams entered the game as wildcard teams, leave the game as wildcard teams. The defenses were dominant on both sides, Seattle and Minnesota, until Bobby Wagner got away with one on a blocked field goal attempt that flipped the script late in the fourth, and then Seattle ran away from it from there. Is Minnesota going to hold on to this sixth seed? I'm not really sure. I, I would say yes, but there, there's a couple of interesting teams kind of looming around there. You have the Eagles at six and seven. You also have the Panthers at six and seven, and you have Washington Washington at six and seven. But I don't think Washington is going to make any noise in that in that regard, just because they're on their their four string quarterback at this point. I think so. Potentially the Eagles, they might be able to get in there. Maybe the Panthers. I'm not really sure. I, I like the Vikings' chances, but I but I also think that they, they've gotten exposed a couple of times, and Kirk Cousins has really not proven to be worth that, that lucrative, all-guaranteed deal. Oh, no question about it. And you really have to question Minnesota's play calling on the offensive side of the ball. Some of the decisions they made were horrendous. Let's just talk about the Seahawks for a second. Again, we said it last, we said it in the preview show, is there anybody that's doing le- doing more with less than Russell Wilson? And again, he it was not pretty. He had probably the worst interception of his career to end the half. But when it mattered most, this guy stepped up and made plays. And we have college bowl season is coming up. We'll, we'll talk about that in our preview episode. Uh, any final thoughts before we head out of here? I'm just interested to see how this offense-defense dynamic across the NFL plays out. There were the final three games and, of course, the postseason. Offenses started off extremely hot, setting all kinds of records. But when you look around the league in Week 14, there was a lot of good defense being played. With that, we're out. Hey, I'm Anil Dash, and I'm the host of a new show called Function from the Vox Media Podcast Network and Glitch. This season, we're talking with experts about why our voting machines are so bad and how that might hurt our elections. We'll also talk with an animator to find out how popular dances from the real world end up in video games. And we're going to tackle the biggest question in tech. Why do so many celebrities use screenshots from that Apple Notes app to make their public apologies when they screw up? You can find new episodes of Function every Monday on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And thanks to Microsoft Azure for sponsoring Function.